Sometimes we just need to pray. In fact, it's one of those ministries here, I think, that uh, God has blessed us with. That, And I would just encourage you, when you meet somebody, one of the greatest things you can say is, hey, how can I pray for you? And sometimes it's just a, a quick prayer. But God ministers through us and in us when people pray. Amen? I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles that are in front of you. And you can find Acts on page 857 in those black Bibles. And again, thank you, Elizabeth, for uh, sharing and uh, really appreciate. And you know what I love about what Elizabeth was telling us is that even though her husband wasn't, couldn't go to small groups, she did. And I know that was a difficult thing, but it, it, it has had a huge impact on her. And I know it's had a impact, huge impact on, on their family. When I came to Christ in... 1998, I knew nothing about Jesus other than I used Jesus in a derogatory way. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know anything about spiritual disciplines. I didn't know anything about doctrines or what it meant to be Christian. All I knew about Christianity is that I didn't want to be one. And here I was all of a sudden on my knees with Pam asking God to forgive our sins and asking Jesus to come into our lives and to change us. Mike Fetchner, the guy that led us to Christ, understood that we were struggling just with this newfound faith because it was so far against anything that we had ever experienced. And Mike said, on this walk with Christ, you're going to have periods of doubt. And I've mentioned this many times, but he says, the way you push that doubt away, he says four things. He says, read the word of God daily so you know the God of the word. So you know this God who has saved you. Second thing he said, pray. That's how you communicate with God. You're listening to God. You're speaking to him. It's a relationship. The third thing he said was get involved in church. Go to church. Be regular in church. And the fourth thing he says, get involved in a group. Get vitally connected with a group. And you know, I said, Pam and I didn't know any better. We thought that's what all Christians did. So that's what we did. And, and, and the fact is we were babes and he did not leave us as orphans. And so often I think we can see orphans in Christianity because they never get connected in. I think Elizabeth shared that with us. And so what happened is we got involved in his Sunday school class. But then he, he held in our home on Thursday mornings a discipleship class. It was really a, a discipleship study, and it was really just to get his arms around us because he felt like we could be dangerous if he didn't, and, and we were because we got religion, and we, I'm telling you, we got religion, and everybody else was going to get it from us if they weren't careful. So he says, I got to teach these guys some truth, and so we went through a study by Bill Bright called 10 Basics of the Faith. It was a three-month study that lasted two and a half years, and, and, and what happened was we would, we would read the chapter, we would do our study questions, and then there was this facilitated discussion. And what Mike wanted to know is, were we learning? Were we growing? Were we applying the truths that we were learning to our lives? And it was in that time that we learned the value of facilitated discussion. Because what happens is, I'm standing here as a pastor, and I'll preach to y'all. And I don't know if you're getting it or not. I mean, sometimes I can tell if you're, you know, if you're leaning in. Doesn't mean you have to lean in right now. But, 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 
But, but if you're kind of snoozing, I, I, I have to tell you, I've had, this, there was this one guy, I, this is, I digress, but I don't know, he was a pilot, and by about my first point, his head was rolled back, his mouth was wide open, and his eyes were closed. Good news was he didn't snore. I don't think he was getting it. Now, in a small group, you can't do that. But so we learned the value of small groups. We learned, we learned where other people were in the group. We, we started inviting people. We learned about where we were. We learned how to articulate the truth of God's word. That's 2 Timothy 2.2. Let me put it on the screen. If you don't know this verse, I think it's a really important verse. Paul writes this to Timothy. It's his last letter, 2 Timothy. It's, it's, he's getting ready to, to, at any time to be taken and executed. And Paul says to Timothy, he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's discipleship right there. That is what we're called to do. To take what we've learned and to entrust it to faithful men who will teach others also. Dr. Tony Evans, who I spent a lot of time with when we were back in Dallas, he says, your discipleship has not really started until you start discipling others. Because Hebrews chapter 5 talks about the fact that it is, it is through, the, through the reason of use that our discernment grows. It's when we start using it that we grow. And so, this is part of the value of group of small groups. Now, we're in a study right now. We took a, a break from our, our, our study in the book of John. We'll get back to John in a couple of weeks, but it's called Follow Me, The Life of a Christ Follower. This is a foundational series. And the fact is, we've said this, that following Jesus is all about relationships. Jesus was all about relationships. Relationship with the Father, relationship with his disciples, and relationship with the world. That is our desire. In fact, let me just put up this graphic or this, this, this next slide to show you. This is kind of the, the format that we're going for. Love in 5G. Where, where do I get love? Well, we're called to love God and love others. A faithful Christ follower abides in Christ. That's God time. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. The first place we start is our own relationship with the Lord. God desires to have a relationship with us, to spend time with us. Secondly, a faithful follower of Christ connects in community. We do that through our gathering, our large group gatherings. That's what we're doing right here. But then also through our small group gatherings. And then third, finally, he shares in, in the mission. It's give time and go time. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. Now, does this 5G life, can it be a little bit hokey? Maybe. But my, my prayer is that they become handles that you can hold on to. These are just foundational. These are basic things that we as Christ followers should be, should be going after. Now, big idea of this message is this today. Authentic community can be found by connecting into a group. Authentic community. This is not just sitting around watching a football game, eating wings, which I'm not dogging at all. I'm really good with that. But authentic community can be found by connecting into a group with 
other Christ followers. The early church understood the value of gathering in groups. And we see that in this passage here. In, in Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Acts chapter 2. Let me read this. Starting in verse 42. And they, I'll come back to that in a minute. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who were believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, when you get to Acts chapter 2, verse 42... If you just read it on its own, you miss what's been going on. And there's been a lot going on. In fact, Acts was written by Luke, Dr. Luke. He wrote the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, which is all about the life of Christ when he was, when he was walking on the earth. And then he wrote the book of Acts. It's the Acts of the Apostles or the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And it's what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven. And we know that in Acts chapter 1, 8, it says that you, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outer ends of the earth. And then it says he ascended up into heaven. And that must have been an awesome moment, right? I mean, he, he'd already been resurrected from the dead. He's with his disciples. And then he ascends into heaven. And the last thing they hear, you will be my witnesses. But first, you will receive, you receive power. He's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then we see in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells the people. And everybody's speaking in their own glasses, their own tongues. Those that spoke Greek could understand, what, even if they could understand other languages. And then Peter gets up and he preaches this powerful message taking Old Testament prophecies and showing how Jesus had fulfilled those, test, those prophecies. And it says that the people were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And he says, repent. And call upon the Lord. And we see in verse 41, it says, those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Awesome. I mean, can you imagine the church was about 120 people. And in one message, this is humbling, 3,000 souls were added to the church. Now, that's the good news. The bad news was 3,000 souls were added to the church. What do you do with all those people? And it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Here's what we learn. I connect in group first to develop community. I connect in group to develop community. It's kind of tough to get connected in the community when you're surrounded by 3,000 people. So you got to break that up. Listen, when the souls were saved, we see here in verse 42, there was a passionate devotion to the Lord. Notice what it says, and they, were devo and they devoted themselves. That word devoted 
it's in the continuous sense. It, it's the idea of being dedicated. There's a steadfastness even in the midst of opposition. Let me ask you. Do you have a devoted, an ongoing devoted passion for the things of God? Does it define you? Is it who you are? What drove these people to have a passionate devotion to the Lord? Well, I think, first of all, they were grateful. They knew who they were. They, they were saved out of this legalistic Jewish environment. And, and, and all of a sudden, they'd received grace. They, they'd gone from, from being dead to alive, from being in darkness to being in light. There were new creations, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. The old was gone, the new had come. They were overwhelmed with thankfulness. There was this desire to know this God that had saved them. And I think back, and I, and I know it's been, it's been 21 years now for me and Pam, but we still remember who we were and what we got saved out of and, and how that has just driven our hearts for the Lord. And here's what you learn. When you're devoted to Christ, you're devoted to his body. Because the head and the body come together. It's like you being devoted to my head, but wanting nothing to do with the rest of me. That would be kind of weird. It's kind of weird that you would be devoted to me at all. Pam, you could be devoted to me. But when you love Jesus, you love his church. These new believers had a passion for the Lord, which drove their priority to be connected in community. Let me say that again. These new believers, they had a passion for the Lord, and that drove their priority to be connected to God's church, to community. They were devoted to four things. And it was these four things that led to authentic community. Let's look at them again. I'll break them down in, in verse 42. And they devoted themselves, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. It's to biblical teaching. It's to biblical teaching. They would get together to study what? God's word. God's holy word. God's inerrant word. God's sufficient word. They, 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 would, they would understand what God was saying to them. God wrote a book. It's right here. God has given us his word. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. What Jesus had taught to the apostles, they now were teaching to the believers, to the new believers. 3,000 believers, new believers, they needed to know the truth of who Christ was, of what he had accomplished, and what it meant for their lives. I think back to when Pam and I first got saved. I mean, we knew nothing. I mean, nothing. I didn't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I just remember we were in Dallas. I was going up an elevator um, to the fifth floor of, our, of the building we were in for our office. And there was a guy that owned a brokerage company right above us. And I'll never forget. And he was a Jewish guy. And I was holding a Bible. And, and he, he, he looked at me and he said, are you reading the Old Testament or the New Testament? I had no clue what he was even talking about. Like he was saying, okay, you're Jewish. I'm Jewish, certainly only drink, reading the first, you know, two-thirds of that book. You're not reading the, the last third. 
It took me a couple years to figure out what he was saying to me. This is why we teach verse by verse through the Bible. We want to know what God says. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, when, he, when he's, he's gathered all the elders from Ephesus together, and he says this, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And, and that's why, like, when we go through the book of John, we're going through all of it, even the difficult passages, even the passages we may not want to hear because it's God's word for us. Because so often what we do is we think, well, okay, this, this is not going to be the most exciting thing to have to share with people. But see, so often God uses that to change us from the inside out. Okay, so they were, they were devoted to biblical teaching. Secondly, they were devoted to the fellowship. The fellowship. That word fellowship here, it's the word quantania. It's the Greek word quantania. It means to, to share in, to participate in. This is not just friendship, but this is a real this is a real community of people that are, that are together. This is a giving of one another, of oneself to one another. The fact is, you see that when they came to Christ, there was this commitment to be together. You see that word together. In fact, in verse 42, you see, and they devoted themselves. In verse 43, it, it says, and every soul, every soul, every one of them. And then verse 44, you see the word, and, and all who believed were together. Verse 46, and you said, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. There's this togetherness of the church. Now, it's not a club, but it's a community. It's a group of people that love the Lord and love one another. We love because he first loved us. It's Matthew chapter 22, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what you see going on here. They were together. They would gather in the temple, it says. That's gather time. They would gather in the homes. That's group time. They would gather for discipleship, for connection, for accountability, for mutual ministry. That is fellowship. That's true quantania. But then third, they gathered together for the breaking of bread. Now, oh, they were eating all the time. Well, certainly they were getting together and they were eating together. Maybe they were eating some of Katie Tucker Gannon's bread. And if you don't know Katie Tucker, she's, she's going to have a baby in the next day or two, Lord willing, and Lord better will it. <laughs> but, but the fact is, they, they weren't just eating bread, but this also refers to communion. It refers to the reminding of the people, the fact that Jesus' body was broken for them. That his blood was shed so they, to cover their sins. See, it is the gospel that they would come together to be reminded of. We're going to be uh, uh, sharing communion in a little while here. And it's a reminder that our sins have separated us from a holy God. That apart from God, we are nothing. Apart from God, we have nothing. But, but God sent his son, Jesus, into this world to live a perfect sinless life. A life we couldn't live. But then Jesus went to the cross. He was, a uh, he was a substitute for us. He sacrificed for us. He took the wrath that we deserve for our sins. 
He stood in our place. He was condemned, so we didn't have to be. He was nailed to a cross, but then on the third day, he was raised so we could have eternal life. As a group, we should be continually devoted to the gospel. We should be telling other people about the gospel, being reminded of what Christ has done for us. Let that, Lord, let that never grow cold in us. Why were they devoted? Because they, under, they saw Jesus sacrificed on the cross. Most of these people were in Jerusalem. They understood what had happened. But they also had heard over 500 testimonies of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so these people, I mean, they were devoted. And they continued to talk about it. It wasn't just something they, they didn't go just through the motions. They were, they were responding what Jesus had called them to do when he, was on the, uh, when, when he had the Last Supper. In John chapter 13, he instituted, he, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So every time they would get together and, and break bread, they understood the importance of it. And then the prayers. Notice there's a definite article there. We don't know if there were certain prayers that were being said as a church specifically or if it was just through prayer. But let me tell you something about community. Community really grows when you pray for one another and when you pray with one another. That's an intimate opportunity. We, we had an incredible night the other night, just a prayer night here. And, and there's nothing like praying with one another. Notice when there's devotion to Christ, notice what happens. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I mean, there was an awe. Paul Tripp wrote a book called Awe. I'd encourage you to get it. It's all about the glory and awesomeness of God. And he writes it in the way that only Paul Tripp can write. But listen, when souls are saved, there's awe. When, when disciples are made, there's awe. And, and, when, and when the disciples are multiplied, there's awe. So why connect in a group to develop community? Well, here's secondly, to promote unity. To promote unity. We develop community, but then we promote unity. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. True faith in Jesus creates unity. Unity is born out of becoming more like Christ. Now, this isn't uniformity. We're all very different, but there's a unity. There's a unity in, in aligning ourselves with God's word. The more we, more we align ourselves with the truths of God's word, the more unity there is. It is when we find ourselves pulling away from certain truths that there becomes disunity. But unity comes as we become more aware of Christ and what he has done. And the fact is, believers shouldn't have to fight for unity. We are unified in Christ. We are a family. We're united in Christ. We have the mind of Christ, the Bible tells us. And that's why it's so important to be grounded in God's word. It creates alignment. 
And we see in verse 46 that unity is built both in large groups and in small groups. This is where we can exercise the one another commands. There's, there's, I think it's 56 different one another commands to love one another, to welcome one another, to serve one another, to, 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 serve, to forgive one another, to pray for one another, to confess to one another, to honor one another, to build up one another, to comfort one another, to teach, to stir up, to care, to give to one another. Listen, this can happen in large group in, in gathering time. But where it really fleshes out is where? group time. This is where we now start living out these one another commands on a weekly basis. We get to know one another. They get to know us. We start connecting with one another. Small groups are a place where you can be vulnerable, where you can be challenged by those who care about you and love you. And, And let me just say this. Our model of small groups is not perfect. Why are they not perfect? Because we're in them. But the fact is, we're pointing to someone that is perfect, Jesus. And sometimes these these groups are good for sanctification. Sometimes they're good for glorification. Sometimes they're good for edification. The fact is, God uses groups to transform souls. Connecting group to develop community, to promote unity, third. To share ministry. To share ministry. Look at verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Who wants to sign up for that? Okay, that's not, this is not, this is not promoting socialism. Socialism is when I go to Slay and I take everything out of his house and I give it to all the rest of you. And you're thinking, this is cool. Not Slade and Becky. See, this is when God changes our hearts. We see a need and we say, how can I help? How can I serve? That's ministry. It's a huge difference. And, And as God continues to work in our hearts, we should have a heart to minister to one another. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 says that there's pastors and teachers. They're they're called to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. See, y'all, it's not just me and David and our staff and leaders that are called to do ministry. We're all ministers. We're all ministers. What is a minister? It's a servant. It's somebody that serves one another. Listen, the only way we can meet a need is if we know it's there. If you're in isolation, and now there's some people that are home, I know that they are, and I've I've been talking to some of you, we want to help. The fact is, it's in group that you really learn the needs, and that's where the group comes around, and they help. I mean, it, it could be grieving. You could be going through grief, and your, your group comes around you, or suffering, or sickness. It, it, it could be loneliness or a job loss, family issues, financial issues, a prodigal, praying for a soul. It could, be, it could be somebody that, like Chris is having to deal with right now. And the fact is, we now know as a group, and I just encourage you to pray for that young man. But, but this is where we can share in the ministry, do mutual ministry. It's maybe providing meals or providing babysitting. 
And I would encourage you, as you go to group, go with the intention of serving, not receiving. That's so important. I mean, make sure that you're putting more deposits in the bank than you're drawing out. That's a good, that's, that's good for all of us to both when it comes to our money, but also when it comes to serving one another. Okay, I connect in group to develop community, to promote unity, to share ministry. I, let me just real quick say, there was a, a man that was very involved in our ministry. His name was Chuck Miller. God rest his soul. He passed away before we moved into this building. But I know that Eric Tooker and, and, and Phil Doyle and a number of others, David and, and some of us, I mean, we were taking food to him. I mean, he, he, was, he was dying of cancer. And he was connected in a group. And he was ministered to. And it wasn't just those that are on staff. But we came around him. All right. I connect in group to develop community, to promote unity, to share ministry. Fourth, there it is, to build consistency. To build consistency. Look at verse 46. And day by day, and day by day, and what? Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They gathered together as a church, and they gathered together in groups. And it was day by day. They understood the value of consistency. They needed to be together, to be strengthened by one another. It was a time of tremendous persecution against the Christians. Something that we may see in not too many days. And that's why it's so important for us to gather consistently. It wasn't just one time a week. They knew Sunday was not enough. Now let me ask you, how many of you are good just eating one meal a, a week? I'm not good eating one meal a day. In fact, I'd rather have like five meals a day. Pam just keeps looking at me like, really? It's five small meals. You know, it just gets my metabolism going. You know, it's, 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 it's good for me. It gives me a little bit of energy. keeps me fueled. But here's what I know. Most of us are pretty intentional about eating regularly. But we should be intentional about eating the word of God regularly. Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. How much more important is feeding on the word of God, the word of truth? It is by connecting in community on a consistent basis that we grow. When Pam and I became believers, I mean, this is our testimony. When the church was open, we were there. We were there for Bible fellowship class every week. Every Thursday morning, our discipleship group, I got plugged into men's. Pam got plugged into women. Now, were we doing that because we were told that's what you have to do? No. We were doing it because we were overwhelmed by God's grace, and we just wanted to be with the Lord and with his people. God had moved in our hearts, and I'm telling you, we learned the value of consistency. You know how? By being consistent. It was through being consistent we understood, man, we need this. We've, we, we've never had this before. This is, this is amazing. And what it became was an accelerant for our faith. Consistency. It's not one or two times a month. 
And, and, and the fact is, it's getting together where, where, where we can love the Lord and love others and, set, and, and feel the love of others for us. And that's where we learn consistent, but we also were lear- we learned the, op- the, the importance of being open, of being transparent. Now, I could tell you that I was the most unopen, untransparent person you would have ever met. I was pretty closed in. I grew up in a family where you just didn't share your feelings. You suppressed them. Let me ask you, how healthy is that? Not healthy. And men, sometimes we can be really guilty of that. I'll never forget, we became believers and I found myself crying all the time. It's like, what is going on with me? The Holy Spirit was, I mean, it's just, it bothered me. I'm telling you, the first couple times it happened, in fact, I'd not even gotten saved yet. We're in a worship center with 7,000 people. We're sitting in the front row. At the end of the service, I'm bawling like a baby. And, and one of the, Mike Fetcher, the pastor that led us to Christ, he says, do you want to go forward? I'm thinking, what? For what? I mean, it was like, it was like no. And now I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care. Because that's the spirit of God moving. And I pray that you would sense the same thing. See, we can, we can think it's weakness. But the fact is, God uses our weaknesses to grow us. I, I, I'm going to say this, and I probably shouldn't, but I've grown more through groups than any other thing that I've done. Because I've been challenged, I've, I've studied, I've learned, I've been told what I've got wrong. There's this openness in that. One of the things we've said, and this doesn't always happen, but if you're not connected into a group within six months, you'll probably be out of the church in 12 months because you've not gotten vitally connected into group. So I connect in group to develop community. Secondly, to promote unity. Third, to share ministry. Fourth, to build consistency. And finally, to grow in maturity. To grow in maturity. Okay. Follow this. Devotion to Christ. Being devoted to Christ. To the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. It leads to awe. Awe comes upon the souls. We see that in verse 43. Signs and wonders happen. There's a togetherness. Those in need get their needs met. There are, there are gladness and generous hearts. There's a commitment to community and, and unity. And then verse 47, notice what it says. They're praising God and having favor with all the people. And notice what happens. And the Lord adds to the church day by day those who are being saved. People are praising God. They're worshiping. People's lives are changing. And the Lord adds to the church. That's my heart for this church. That it would start, it would all be about a devotion to the Lord. Now, if you walked in here today and you said, man, I'm struggling with any type of devotion to the Lord. You came to the right place. We want you here. Because our desire is to stir you up to love and good works, to challenge you to press on to the upward call, to, to build you up, to encourage you in that. Those 
added to the church, then became changed as they connected into community, as they became devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the, to the, to the uh, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And it's just this, it's this cycle that it's the second Timothy two, two, these things you've heard from me among many witnesses commit to faithful men or women who can teach others. Also, it's the idea of passing it on. And let me tell you something. When you start having to pass it on, guess who grows the most? You do. It's like when you don't know, you're going to go find out. That's a great place to be. All right. So let me, Look at this. What kind of groups do we offer at Hope? This is where I'm going to get kind of practical for a couple minutes. Let me put this on the screen. We have a number of different groups. We have our student ministry. Meets on, on uh, Friday nights. Excuse me, Sunday nights from 6 to 8. Right, David? David and Katie lead that. They do a great job with this ministry for our students. They meet over in the fellowship hall. We have our adult small groups. That's part of the ministry David is over. We have a college group that we are developing as we speak because we've got a lot of college students coming in. So we want, we, we've got a plan that we've developed and, and, and we'll be rolling that out. We have a women's ministry. We have a men's ministry. And it is in those groups that we have a certain format. What's the format? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. There's really four aspects of it. The first one is fellowship. We want, to, we want there to be fellowship. So generally there's food because if you can't get them to come to read the Bible, at least you can get them with some good snacks. All right. So there's, there's fellowship. Secondly, there's facilitated discussion. Now, let me remind you, this is not a preaching or teaching ministry. That's what we do here. Or if we have certain classes, we'll do that. It's a discipleship ministry. And the fact is, if your groups are working right, the facilitators speak no more than 10 or 15% because they want to hear what you have to say. They want you to go through the study. They want to make sure that you're learning what you're being taught, what you're reading. And so you now can articulate back. That's again, where we grow. It's not to put you on the spot, but it's to help you grow. It's to help each one of us to grow. And if you're off, we're going to gently bring you back. Small group is an opportunity for you to learn, to grow, to articulate. And here's the thing I love about it. It's duplicatable. So what I'm doing right here, I mean, some of you might say that's very duplicatable. But in a small group, what I do, it's very duplicatable. In fact, you're probably, you know, people in our group are like, if Bill can do it, certainly I can do it. Because it's pretty simple. And that's what it's designed for. So that we can multiply ministry. So, fellowship, facilitated discussion. Third, mutual ministry. Mutual ministry. This is where we get real. This is where the men break up with the men, the women break up with the women. And we're effectively doing that in each of the different groups we have. You know, on Friday mornings, what we're doing as men is we, we have a teaching time, but then we break up for discussion. The women have breakout for discussion. The students have breakout for discussion. Small groups have breakout for discussion, but then there's some accountability, mutual ministry. In fact, look, let's look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 really shows us why. The writer of Hebrews says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. 
But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So through mutual ministry, what we're doing is we're trying to, we're, there's, there's, there's real accountability. There's asking each other the tough questions. I love my men's accountability time in our small group. We are very open with each other. And we challenge each other. And we're spurred on by each other. And that's a really important thing to grow in Christ, to grow in maturity. It's a time to exhort one another. And the fact is, we have blind spots. You know the problem with blind spots? You can't see them. I don't have any blind spots. <laughs> yes, you do. It's the guys are going to tell you. Okay, I finally got a new car. And it has blind spot assist. And I thought, I don't need that. I've been driving for all these years with blind spot without blind spot assist. I don't need it. So I have the ability to turn it off. And there's been about three times it saved my life. Problem is, sometimes we want to turn off our blind spot assist and not be connected to group. But we need that. We, we, we need the help. And it's okay to say, I need help. It's okay to say, I got blind spots. My wife helps me with my blind spots all the time. I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I'm, she's my helpmate. It's, it's helpful. In the moment, sometimes I don't want to hear it. Am I the only one, guys? But the fact is, she's right. She knows because she sees what I can't. Now, some people may turn off the blinds. Or sometimes they may say, I'm just not getting anything out of this. That's because you're going to group with the wrong mindset. You're going to group with a consumer mentality, not like, how can I serve? What can I get? How, how can I input? How can I deposit? It's the verse we looked at last week, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Con, you know, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of the saints, as is the manner of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, it's accountability. It's, it's, it's Proverbs 27, 17. As, as iron sharps iron, so a man sharpens a man, or so a woman sharpens a woman. Accountability was a mark of the early church. And the fact is, we need someone to ask us the hard questions, to, to, to encourage us to be transparent, to live in humility. And then finally, prayer. We've talked about prayer. We pray. At the end, we pray about as we, we, we pray about what we've just discussed and how we can apply it to our lives, or maybe ask for forgiveness for not applying it earlier, but now, Lord, give me the strength and the ability to, to move on. Listen, this is all a way for us to grow. This is discipleship. This is how you become a faithful follower of Jesus. This is not some just to-do list. This is because we are now changed by what God has done in us, and we want to now grow to be more Christ-like, that we would have the mind of Christ. So I want to encourage you, if you're not in a group, see me, see David. We'd love to talk to you about getting in groups. I connect in group to develop community, to promote unity.
to share ministry, to build consistency, and finally, to grow in maturity.